This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. Hey y'all, my name is Jordan, and no matter who you are, or what you believe, or what you've done, I want to welcome you tonight again to RUF. So what is RUF? So RUF is a community of students that is learning to love. Uh, we're learning how to love God, we're learning how to love our friends, we're learning how to love ultimately the university, because we believe that God has first loved us. And so here's what we do. Each and every Wednesday night, we in this room for large group. Throughout the week, we meet small groups all over campus. When we meet one-on-one to have coffee or go on walks in order, in order to remind one another of God's love for us. In order that we might rest in his love. In the great hope that over time we might more and more reflect his love out into the world. And that's why we're spending an entire semester on our sermon series learning to love. Each and every Wednesday night, this semester, we're talking about love. And we're asking, I mean... What is love? What do we even mean by that word? And and what what do we mean when we say God is love? And how do we become better lovers in all the different relationships that God has placed us? But according to the Bible, if we ever want to learn to love one another, we must first see and taste God's first love for us. Because love is from God. Any human love, any horizontal love, stems and comes from a first vertical love. And so tonight, if we ever want to love, we have to first see God's love for us. And the best place in the Bible to see God's love for us is the Song of Solomon, or or Song of Songs, as it's also called. And so tonight, we're going to uh, do a sort of overview or flyover of the Song of Songs and ask, what do we mean when we say that God loves us? And I want us to see three things. First of all, That the love of God is a love that pursues, it is a love that endures, and it is a love that intoxicates. So it pursues, it endures, and intoxicates. First, it's a love that pursues. So before we dive into the text, uh, here are a few things that you need to know about the Song of Songs, okay? Uh, The first thing you need to know is that the Song of Songs is kind of a big deal. Uh, when you go to read your Bible, if you were to open your Bible and read a random book, uh, most likely you're going to go and read one of the Gospels, or, or maybe you're going to read one of the Psalms, or maybe you're going to read one of the letters from Paul, right? Like, like Philippians, or Ephesians, or Romans. But for most of the history of the church, Christians would have opened their Bibles, and they would have read the Song of Songs. Uh, one theologian says that medieval Christians were obsessed with the Song of Songs. They were obsessed with it. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was the most famous preacher of his day, preached 86 sermons on the Song of Songs and died just as he was getting to chapter 3. I mean, the man, you know, the man preached eight sermons just on the first verse. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. They were obsessed with this book. Why? Because they knew and they saw that it is not just a story of human love and the love between a young man and a young woman. But it is actually on a deeper level, it's a story of God's love. So that the man in the story, the he that is talking, is Jesus himself. And then the she that is responding in love is actually us, his bride, his church. And the first thing we see tonight is that the man pursues the woman. He pursues her. And looking back at the text, we see this in chapter 2, verse 8. Look at it. 
Chapter 2, verse 8, where the woman says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains and bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Uh, people have said in the past that love makes us athletic. It makes us athletic. And this is true. Um, I remember when I was dating Emily, I started like going to the gym for the first time and like trying out the bench press. Because all I done in high school was run cross country. Uh, and you know, guys, you know this, that when you start liking a girl, it like gets you off the couch and you start moving and it kind of animates you and, and it gets you out into the world. And that's what we see here. The man is athletic. He's like a deer leaping over an entire mountains in one jump in order to get to the woman that he loves. And that is God. He pursues. But what's amazing about God's love is not just that it pursues, but that it pursues us even, and especially when we run away. Even when we run away. A friend of mine said, he likes to say that God is like a U.S. federal marshal. Uh, that he's like Tommy Lee Jones chasing down Harrison Ford in The Fugitive, right? If you've seen this movie. Uh, and you can run from God as long as you want and as hard as you want and as fast as you want. But if God wants to catch up to you, he will. He will catch up to you. See, and when we think God only runs after us or he only pursues us when we're lovable. I mean, we think that God pursues good people, that he pursues the religious, that he pursues the righteous and the disciplined and the put together. I mean, I mean you say, yes, I get it. God moves towards me, but only if I meet him halfway. And you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Because God does not love us when we are good. He just loves us because he loves us. He just loves us because he loves us. And we see this too in the song. I mean, look at the very beginning in chapter 1, verse 5, where the woman says, I'm very dark, but lovely. I'm dark, but lovely. Do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked down upon me. And what we see here is that the woman, like us, is ashamed. She is ashamed because she is dark. Many commentators believe that the woman here is actually Egyptian. And if you know anything about Egypt in the Bible, I mean, that is Israel's enemy. Right? So she's ashamed of her darkness. Her skin is dark. It isn't fair. And this is a picture of how we feel in our sin and in our shame. Do not stare at me because I'm dark. Do not look at me. Do not look at that part of me. I'm dark, but lovely. And y'all, this is the mystery of God's love for us. Not that he loves us because we're lovely, but he loves us because he loves us. That in our sin, are we dark? Yes. But in Christ's eyes, are we loved? Yes. And y'all, in fact, this is amazing. In the first four chapters of the Song of Songs, the man only calls the woman one word. And do you know what the one word is? Beautiful. Look what he says in chapter 4, verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my love, and there is no flaw in you. That is how God sees you, washed by the blood of Jesus. Are you dark? Yes. But are you lovely? Yes. And in Christ, there is no flaw in you. That's the first thing God's love pursues. But now I want us to see that God's love endures. It endures. Um, 
A few years ago, uh, how many of you read the Twilight books or watched the movies? Don't answer that question. Okay, that's all for your hands. Sheepishly in the back. Um, I did not see them, but what I know about the movies in the, in the books is that they are about vampires, right? Um, and that's really interesting, actually, that, that these books and these stories about vampires were so incredibly popular. And uh, as one theologian, Matthew Lee Anderson, says, he believes that the reason that those stories were so popular is because they speak to our deep human desire for our love to never die. To have a love that lasts and that is immortal and in some way goes beyond the grave. We want a love that can endure anything. They can endure distance. They can endure any circumstance. And they can even endure death. That's what we crave. And that's the second thing we see about God's love in the Song of Songs. Is the love that endures. I mean, look again at the song, uh, chapter 8, verse 6. Here at the very end of the, 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 the song. Here's how it closes. The man says to the woman, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. And the man is saying to the woman, my love for you is permanent, and it will endure. I mean, look at the different images he uses. I mean, first he uses the image of, of a seal. Set me as a seal upon your heart. I and mean, what is a seal? It is a mark that binds something and marks something as permanent. Right? Uh, it, it's a mark that won't go away. And, and, and so this is why, like, you know, um, you might be in love with someone, and hopefully when you maybe when you, people do this, you like, get tattoos of one of those, like, initials, like, on you, right? Because you're literally marking one another with your love. Or maybe, like, in, you know, in old stories, you, like, write your initials and carve them in a tree or whatever. Today, I mean, we still put rings on one another's fingers. And again, these are seals, and they're marks, and they're vows of love. And that's why, again, he uses also this image of a flood. Look, I mean, he says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. He's saying anything in life could happen. The floods could come. Nothing can drown my love for you. And that's also why he uses the image of death. I mean, look what he says. Love is as strong as death. Is anything more permanent or more lasting or more enduring than death? No. But he's saying my love is that strong. And see, y'all, what makes relationships, any relationship, Scary is the thought that it might end, right? I mean, you think about dating. This is what makes dating so terrifying. I mean, because the boy, he says he loves me. I mean, but he might wake up tomorrow and feel completely different, right? He says he loves me, but, I mean, talk is cheap, right? What if the boy decides I'm not beautiful enough, right? Or, or what if the girl decides I'm not tall enough or, or I'm not rich enough? I mean, what if something gets in between us? Uh, what, if, what if long distance gets in between us? What if life or career plans get in between us? What if another person gets in between us? What if death gets in between us? Relationships are so scary because at any moment they can end. And we fear the same thing with God. I mean, with God too, we wonder, like, will God always love me? Like, if I was to do this, would God still love me? And because I've done that, does he still love me? 
I mean, I mean, what if my mistakes and the things that I regret get in the way? Or, or what about just my general like apathy towards God gets in the way? Maybe last fall, you just didn't even think about God. He wasn't even on your radar. Does he still love me? Does he still care? Is he so close to me in any way? I mean, what if I lose my hold on God? Or my grip on God? Or what if God loses his grip on me? Will his love for me last? Will it endure? And friends, I want you to know that the good news of Christianity is that it will. That it really will last. That God has marked us and sealed us with his love. If you are in Christ, you are bound. No amount of sin can drown God's love for you. You can't quench God's love. You can't lose it. It's as strong as death. And as you know, it's actually stronger. Because as you know, the story of Christianity is not only that Christ died for you in love and went into the grave and was laid on a tomb, in a tomb, but on the third day he rose again. His love is actually stronger than death. Nothing is stronger than death except God. His love is stronger than death. It endures. Uh, lately, we've been watching uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with Sam and Georgia. And uh, you should watch Mr. Rogers' uh, Neighborhood. Instead of paying like $100 to go to your therapist, you should just watch Mr. Rogers, okay? It's amazing. Uh, but Fred Rogers, he was a man of love. In fact, uh, if you saw the Tom Hanks movie, if you saw the documentary that came out a few years ago, uh, Fred, Fred Rogers' sort of motto or tagline is that he wanted every child that watched his show to know that they were loved and that they were capable of loving others. That they were loved and they were capable of loving. And yet, if you know anything about Mr. Rogers' life, you know that at the end of his life, when he was facing death, one of the last things he ever said, he turned to his wife and asked her, do you think that God actually loves me? Do you think that I'm one of the sheep or, or, or one of the goats? He's using there Jesus' parable. That there are those who are sheep and are in with God, and there are those who are sort of out. And, and he's wondering, this man again, who has spent his whole life telling other people that they are loved by God, am I loved by God? I mean, y'all, even Fred Rogers doubted whether God's love for him would endure, and whether it would last beyond the grave. Would it be greater than his mistakes, his failures, and his regrets? And the answer is yes. It is yes. God's love endures. When you begin to see these things, uh, when, you, when you begin to really see that God pursues you in love and that his love for you endures, it changes you. And actually, according to the song, intoxicates you. And that's what we want to see thirdly and finally. God's love intoxicates. Because, friends, what we see in the Song of Songs is that God's love, it isn't so much something that you know, but it is something that you taste. It isn't something you know, it's something you taste. And we see this throughout with this image that occurs over and over again in the song is the image of wine. God's love, it says, is like wine. And we see this at the very beginning. I mean, look back at the very beginning, our very first verse. The one that the dude preached eight sermons on. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. I mean, friends, God's love is not an idea. It isn't a fact that you need to like get your head around. 
I mean, and it isn't like this PowerPoint lecture that you need to make sure you listen and like really get it if you're going to ace the exam. No. The Song of Songs says his love is something that you drink and it's something that you taste and savor and experience. It's like wine. And we see this again in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. What does it say? He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I'm sick with love. And there in verse 4, banqueting house. In the Hebrew, this is actually a terrible translation. Because banqueting house is actually literally, we're going to sing about this in our last song. Banqueting house is in the Hebrew, house of wine. What it's saying is that, the, that, that God has brought me into his wine cellar. He has brought me into the house of wine. So that I might drink and taste his love. God's love, friends, it's not something you know. It's something you taste and experience. And so that's why in chapter 5, verse 1, we see this incredibly provocative verse that says, Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. I mean, the Christian life here is pictured as a feast. Where you do not go about like memorizing information about God, or, like doing good things for God, but it's actually you're sitting down at a feast and you're eating God's love and you're drinking it in. And so why is wine the, the image that the Song of Songs returns to over and over again for God's love? Well, there are a lot of reasons why. I mean, because first of all, wine, again, is something that you taste and that you savor and that you experience. And, and, and I mean, second, wine, I mean, wine tastes good. And you have some, and you want some more of it. But, but third, wine actually changes you. It changes you. It intoxicates you. It's like the Ava Brothers song uh, that came out a few years ago called When I Drink. Uh, and and the, the song describes actually the dangers of drinking alcohol. But it's really interesting to think about God's love in this way. Listen to what it says, when I drink. When I drink, I say things I don't want to say. And I do things I don't want to do. And when I drink, I hear things that aren't really there. And I feel things when I shouldn't really care. I have fist fights with the air. And so what is it saying? Wine changes you. I mean, it, it, it intoxicates you. And it disorients you so that you do things that you wouldn't normally do. But in the case of God... God's love makes you do things, except it doesn't make you do things you shouldn't. It actually, for the first time, makes you do the things that you should. It doesn't make you do the things you shouldn't, but the things that you should. When you taste God's love, it makes you want to change. And when you taste God's love, it makes you want to obey. And when you taste God's love, it makes you want to listen to God and follow God and love God. I mean, when you taste God's love, it makes you want to pray. Prayer's not a burden or a chore. You want to do it. When you taste God's love, you want to spend time with God. You want to read about God. You want to sing songs to God. You want to talk to other people about God. God's love makes you want to love back and in return. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. So friends... That's the invitation tonight of the Song of Songs. The invitation of the Song of Songs is to be drunk with love. 
And like, I'm not saying that to like try to be cool or provocative. I mean, like, that's what the thing says. Be drunk with love. Be drunk with God's love for you. And so as we close, uh, let's ask, how do we do this? I mean, how do we be drunk with love and really drink in and taste and savor God's love for us, okay? Here are a few things. Well, first, to be drunk with love means that we have to read God's words of love, which is the Bible. You don't read the Bible to get God to love you more. You go to the Bible to taste God's love. And we need to read the Bible in a particular way. I mean, I mean, we do not need to read the Bible as a rule book, but we need to read the Bible through the lens of the Song of Songs. So that all of the Bible is a story of God's love for the unlovely. I mean, we must believe that when we open the Bible, it is, again, not like reading a PowerPoint lecture or like a Google Doc, but it is like opening a menu. It is like opening a menu at a restaurant where everything is good, and no matter where you turn, and no matter what you order, it is going to be good. So read the Bible. Second, to be drunk with love, we must pray. We must pray. Uh, In Matthew 5, Jesus says, when you pray, do not pray in public, but go to your room. But go to your room. And friends, prayer is this room or this cellar that we go to to be with God. Uh, You go down into the cellar to to be with God, to talk to Him, and to taste Him. It's like the wine cellar. I mean, prayer is like the Song of Songs, where where it's this conversation with God, where you're speaking back and forth with your lover. And so God speaks to you, and He delights in you in love, as you just sit silently with Him in prayer. And then you speak back to Him, and you praise Him, and you delight in Him. It's a conversation of love. But third, to be drunk with love, uh, we read the Bible, we pray, and we also go to church. Uh, Because the church is literally the house of wine. I mean, the church, if you go to one that serves communion every week, and you should, there will be bread and there will be wine there every week. And, And the wine isn't just like a metaphor or an image of God. Like, it is God's love for you. And you get to taste it. Each and every week. And it will change you. It will change you. So go to church. Where each and every week Jesus invites us to eat his love and drink his love. So, in order to understand, in order to ever love, we have to first understand God's love for us. It pursues, it endures, it intoxicates. Let's close with this. Uh, So, uh, there... A few years ago, there was uh, this author named David Ireland, and David Ireland wrote a book called Letters to an Unborn Child. So what was happening uh, is that David Ireland uh, contracted this rare and really crippling neurological disorder that left him get crippled and in a wheelchair. And uh, he's dying, and knowing that uh, his wife is pregnant as he's dying, right? I mean, imagine that. And so he's writing these letters to his unborn child, knowing that he will never get to meet his child. Uh, and, and, and as he writes these letters, he writes to a lot of them, a lot of these letters to his unborn child are about his wife, the child's mother. A lot of it's describing his mother. And here's one of the letters. Here's one of the things he says. He says, I want you to know that your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner 
when it entails all that she has to do for me. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, take the pedals off of the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car, and drive off to the restaurant. And then at the restaurant, it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, she unfolds the wheelchair, she opens the door, she spins me around, she stands me up, she seats me in the wheelchair, she pushes the pedals out, she closes and locks the car, she wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it is over, she pays the bill, she pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, and she reverses the same routine. And when it is all over and the night is done, with real warmth, she looks at me and she says, Honey, thank you for taking me out on a date. Friends, I want you to know that that is God's love for you. It pursues you. It will do anything to be with you. It pays the bill. It feeds you. All you have to do is sit and receive it. That is the invitation of the Song of Songs. Friends, God speaks to you and he says, Arise, my love, and come away. And all we have to do is say to him, Draw me after you. Let us run together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful book. Uh, it's indeed the Holy of Holies. It is this amazing and intimate glimpse into your love for us, and we don't believe a word of it. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might open our minds and our hearts, that we might know, and more than know, taste and savor and experience your love. And that as we do that, we will actually love one another. If this is going to happen, we will need a lot of help. So send your spirit and the power of Jesus to us now, we pray. In your son's name, amen.